bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, and Happy New Year. I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2017. Welcome to our first podcast of the year. And with that, I'd like to note that this week marks 30 years since the Tax Reform Act of 1986 generally went into effect. Now, among other things, January 1st marked the birth of the then newly created Low-Income Housing Tax Credit, which replaced or really consolidated previous incentives for low-income housing development. Meanwhile, the historic tax credit was facing a different fate. It was already in existence. However, the 25% historic tax credit was reduced to 20% with a full basis adjustment. Prior to the 86 Act, there was also a 15 and 20% rehabilitation tax credit for older commercial buildings, and they were combined into a single 10% credit for buildings built before 1936. Since we're in the midst of a lot of discussion of tax reform for the year 2017, I should note that while the modifications to the historic rehabilitation tax credits were generally applicable to property placed in service after December 31, 1986, there were some transitional rules. Under the general transitional rule, modifications to the rehabilitation tax credit did not apply to property placed in service before January 1, 1994. That's several years after, obviously, the Tax Reform Act of 86 generally went into effect. In order for the provisions not to come into effect, one of three exceptions needed to be met. The first was for property that was rehabilitated pursuant to a binding contract that was in effect on March 1, 1986. The second exception was for property that was acquired before March 2, 1986, or was acquired pursuant to a binding contract in effect on March 1 of 1986 if Part 1, if necessary, and Part 2 of the Historic Preservation Certification application were filed with the Department of the Interior before March 2, 1986. And then lastly, the third exception was really similar to the second exception, except that rather than Part 1 and Part 2 of the Historic Preservation Certification application needing to be filed, uh, the exception would apply if the lesser of 1 million or 5% of the cost of the rehabilitation was incurred before March 2, 1986, or was required to be incurred pursuant to a binding contract in effect on March 1, 1986. As you can see, for historic tax credit properties under development during 1986, during the discussion of tax reform, the importance of binding contracts and getting applications submitted to the Department of Interior were critical to having the new rules not apply to properties already then under development. This example serves as a bit of a warning for those that are undergoing historic rehabilitations now to file as early as possible uh, with the Department of Interior to help ensure that if the historic tax credit is amended in some way as part of tax reform, that there's a greater likelihood 
of being able to qualify for the store tax credit as it exists today. Now, turning to podcast news, in our general section today, I'll talk about current tax reform and how lowering of the corporate tax rate could mean a loss of up to $2.2 billion or more in equity annually for affordable rental housing. And then in low-income housing tax credit specific news, I'll discuss how Minnesota's state allocating agency has extended its application deadline as a response to the equity market disruption caused by the potential of tax reform. I'll also share how the 2017 annual adjustment factors for certain Section 8 contracts compare to those factors in 2016. And then I'll close out with our store tax credit section, where I'll share some encouraging news about Oklahoma's popular state of store tax credit. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, the 115th Congress convenes today, and lawmakers are preparing for what they hope will be the most significant tax reform in a generation. House Republicans originally planned to unveil draft legislative text for tax reform before Inauguration Day. January 20th. But they have since delayed such plans. Now, we expect the draft legislative text to be completed sometime in the first quarter of the year. With the increasing likelihood of major tax reform in mind, I published a blog post last week on what tax reform could mean for one of the most important affordable housing finance programs in the country, the low-income housing tax credit. Some of you may recall that Novograd and Company published a report back in 2013 on how tax reform could affect affordable rental housing. Well, we've now updated those calculations to reflect current proposals. Namely, we look at how the low-composing tax credit equity market could change if the corporate tax rate were to drop from the current 35% rate to 28%, which President Barack Obama proposed in his corporate tax reform framework, or to 25%, which is the rate former House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp proposed in his 2014 tax reform bill, or to 20%, which is the rate House Republicans are targeting in their tax reform blueprint. And, yes, we did also go as low as 15%, which is what the Trump plan proposes. We found that lowering the top corporate tax rate from 35% to 15% could lower investor equity pricing by as much as $0.17 or more per tax credit dollar. This drop in pricing would substantially reduce the amount of equity available to build and preserve affordable rental housing. Total equity available could be cut by as much as $2.2 billion or more annually. In terms of housing production, this reduced equity could result in as many as 16,000 or more fewer affordable rental homes created or preserved each year. Those numbers are used or generated by using historical production data from the National Council of State Housing Agencies. I should note, these calculations assumed that taxes and bond financing for affordable rental housing was preserved. If such financing was not preserved, then the losses would be even greater. Our calculations also consider the effect of certain other house tax reform blueprint concepts. One of those concepts is expensing tangible and intangible assets. However, I should note that under the House Republican blueprint, land cannot be expensed. The House Tax Reform blueprint also would limit interest expense on debt 
such that it can only be deducted to the extent there's interest income. We also considered that limitation. Now, in some cases, these factors could have the potential to offset some of the pricing reductions. The expensing generally would increase IRR, and as such generally would help offset some of the declines of pricing due to the lower marginal corporate tax rate. However, limiting interest expense deductions would have the opposite effect by taking away some deductions and having an adverse effect on internal rates of return. I should also note it's unclear how the interest expense limitation would apply to banking institutions. Now, there are obviously many factors that affect the pricing of investor equity contributions to local housing tax credit property partnerships. That's why it's important to keep policymakers informed on how certain tax reform proposals could have large-scale effects on affordable housing and other issues. To that end, Nova Grattan Company has formed a tax reform working group to serve as an analytical tool and voice for the tax credit community. If you're interested in learning more about the working group and potentially joining, please contact my partner, Dirk Wallace, in our Dover, Ohio office. Also, you can find our updated tax reform analysis on my Notes from Novogratic blog. In affordable housing news, we've discussed in the past how different state allocating agencies are dealing with tax reform uncertainty and its disruption to the long housing tax credit equity investment market. As you've heard before, some investors have taken a break to see what happens to marginal tax rates. Others are using tax credit adjuster language until proposals are finalized. And still others are choosing to invest at an assumed rate of 20% or 25%. Now to accommodate these changes, some state allocating agencies are moderately pushing back application deadlines and making other changes. Last week, I talked about California changing its readiness deadlines. Before that, I discussed Wisconsin changing its application deadlines and Delaware proposing adjusting its minimum pricing for credits, while Minnesota recently announced that it extended its application deadline for 2017 credits to February 28th, citing what it called, quote, changing conditions, end quote, in the local housing tax credit market. The delay is modest. It's about four weeks from the previous deadline of January 31st. In Minnesota, the deadline to submit the intent to apply form for local housing tax credits is February 14th at 5 p.m., whereas the full application must then be submitted, as I said earlier, by February 28th. To learn more about the shifting equity market, I invite you to join me at the Novogratic Tax Credit Developers Conference in Miami this week. That's right, this week. It's Thursday and Friday, January 5th and 6th. There's still time to register. Go to www.novoco.com. In HUD news, I have some information on the 2017 annual adjustment factors that HUD released for the Section 8 Housing Assistance Payment Program. The factors are used to adjust the monthly rent of units on the anniversary of HEP contracts that are subject to the annual adjustment factor. And last week, I promised that I'd discuss how the 2017 adjustment factors compared to 2016. As was the case in 2016, all areas in the country had a positive adjustment factor, meaning HAP rents will increase for assistance contracts subject to the annual adjustment factor. However, in some of the areas, the adjustment factors, while higher, are still lower 
in 2017 than they were in 2016, which of course means that rents will grow, but at a lower rate in 2017 than in 2016. Now, where contract rents include the utility costs, the annual adjustment factors for 2017 were lower than in 2016 for the Midwest, Northeast, South, and West regions. The Midwest increase is 1.3%, down from 2.4% the year before. The Northeast, the increase is 0.8%, down from 1.8% the year before. The South has a 2.3% increase, down from 3.5% the year before. And the West saw an increase of 2.5%, which is down from 2.7% the year before. Now, where contract rents exclude utility costs, two of the four regions saw an increase. The Midwest will see a 2.5% increase versus 1.5% the year before, and the South will see a 1.7% increase versus 1.3% the year before. Turning to the West, the West will stay constant at a 2.5% increase, the same in 2017 as it was in 2016. And the South did see a decrease, but it's still a large annual increase. They'll be at 2.8% in 2017, whereas the year before, their increase was slightly higher at 3.3%. So as you could hear, market rents are generally still rising, just not as fast on an average rate as the year before. Now, the increase in HAP rents will allow property owners to collect more revenue from HUD. However, I should also note, residents will largely be unaffected by the inflation amounts since the residents will continue to pay 30% of their adjusted income. If you'd like more information or better questions about calculating rents, please contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, in our Seattle office. In historic tax credit news, the Oklahoma Incentive Evaluation Commission has recommended that Oklahoma retain its state historic tax credit, but with an annual cap. This recommendation was part of the Commission's 2016 Tax Incentive Evaluation Report. The report surveyed 11 state tax incentives, including Oklahoma's state historic tax credit program. Oklahoma is one of 12 states that do not have an overall annual program limit. The report said that adding a program cap would ensure some measure of future budget predictability. Once a cap is established, the report recommends that projects be accepted on a first-come, first-served basis. The report did find that the 20% state tax credit program has been highly successful in rehabilitating historic structures across Oklahoma. Since 2005, when the state first allowed applicants to apply for state and federal credits simultaneously, the average number of annual historic rehabilitation projects has quadrupled. Total development investments have increased from $1 million in 2005 to nearly $86 million in 2015. And the program has had very positive effects on property tax values, business attraction, population growth, and employment. Now, I should note, Oklahoma is facing a budget hole of nearly $900 million in fiscal year 2018. Therefore, the state legislature will be looking for areas where it can make possible cuts. That's why the fact that the commission recommends keeping the state historic tax credit is so important. To read the report, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. 
Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. As I mentioned, I'll be in Miami this week for our Novogratic 2017 Tax Credit Developers Conference. In my Washington report session, my co-speakers and I will discuss how a new Congress and a new administration could affect the tax credit community. I do hope to see you there. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.